Welcome to Covenant Church's Sermon Discussion. This conversation happens most Wednesdays on Facebook Live between me, Michelle Lichty, the Communication Director at Covenant, and the Preaching Pastor from the previous Sunday. If you haven't already, I recommend listening to the sermon before listening to our discussion. Well, good afternoon. I am Michelle Lichty, and I am here today with Rob Iman. Hello, all. And Rob, we're glad to have you here. We're talking about your sermon this past Sunday, inviting the church into the book of James from James chapter one, verse one. <laughs> and I have to say, my daughter leaned over to me and said, one verse, what is he going to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you'd be surprised. <laughs> you can go for one word if you want. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, so... <laughs> So, but basically it was an over, overview of the book of James. Um, and you gave, and you did give some background on the author, James, who's the half brother of Jesus and some background on the audience who are mainly Jewish believers. Um, and I particularly appreciated the insight that James is a, a book of wisdom literature. Yes. So like the Proverbs of the New Testament. Yes. Um, but before we get into that, one of the things you said in your sermon on Sunday, and my daughter <laughs> leaned over and she's like, did you know about that? I said, no, I learned all sorts of things on Sunday morning. <laughs> we want to talk about why do we call it the book of James when other countries call it the book of Jacob? That non-English speaking countries would call it the book of Jacob. Non-English speaking yeah. countries. Okay. Yeah. And, 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 you know, it's, I, whenever I write a sermon, I mean, there's so much information that comes in and, you know, part of sermon writing is focusing on, I, I liken it to an airplane trip where you, you take off from one place and land at the next. And you, you don't want to go all kinds of places because you lose track of where you are. So right. uh, there's a ton of stuff that comes up that goes, wow, that's really interesting, but we can't talk about that. That's really, we can't talk about that right now. Yeah. So there's a bit of a discipline and, uh, but anyway, Facebook live gives us the chance to talk about some of these things. Yes. This is just one of those interesting little little, little snippets, but um, the name in the Greek is certainly Jacob. It comes from the Hebrew. It moves into the Greek as Jacob. How in the world did it get to be James in the English? Fascinating trail to follow. Um, when, you know, of course, it went, from, it went from Greek to Latin before it came to English. And so we end up with a couple different paths we can follow. In the um, in Spanish, the word the name Jacob is J A I M E, and so you move from a hard C to a soft M, and you start moving toward the James side of things. And James actually is a connection to Jacob. If you look at it, if you look at the the uh, the origins of that of that name, it goes right mm -hmm. back to Jacob. But for us, it seems to me as though it goes back to 1604, when uh, King James, after the death of Queen Elizabeth. Um, thought that a new translation of the Bible would be helpful for bringing unity to his country. He uh, started the King James Version, the authorized version. Mm. And um, there were 50, maybe 47 or 50 folks who were uh, erudite, the elite, and they went about translating. And rather than going just from the Greek and just from the Hebrew, they also went from the other translations that were popularized in that day because they knew that James, the king, was going to be the guy that eventually 
approved their work. And so they wanted it to sound like something he might approve. So uh, what was it? The Bishop's Bible and the, uh, oh, there's another in Canterbury, maybe. Um, anyway, there, one, one that came primarily from the original languages, another came primarily from the Latin Vulgate. They brought all those things together. And the book of James was the book of James. And perhaps because the king was James, the guy that was going to put his stamp of approval on it. But <laughs> there's, there's, there I is, mean, there is flattery. It, gets, yeah, it does get right. you somewhere. <laughs> if I'm going to work on this, I want to make sure it's approved, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I mean, no one's exactly sure how it landed, but there are linguistic reasons to say that Jacob is actually James. It's not just, you know, trying to appease a, a monarch. Right. Um, but I do think that trying to get the authorized version through the final editor was part of this. Yeah. Well, it's and who's going to change it now, right? Right. Nobody's going to change it now. And it's, but it, yeah, it's helpful for us to know yeah. as we're interacting with people from non-English speaking countries mm-hmm. um, and talking with them about the Bible. And we say, well, hey, you know, in the book of James, and they're like, ah, we don't know what you're talking about. And, and we can, we can stretch it out a little bit too and, and, and begin to uh, use our sanctified imaginations because Jacob is the name of Joseph's father. So is James the firstborn after Jesus or the firstborn mm. male after Jesus? And Joseph was naming him after his own dad. You know, um, Interesting. could be yeah. definitely a younger brother, but um, yeah, uh, could certainly could certainly have been a familial connection there in the naming. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. It's just fun to think about. Yeah. But again, that's a, side, that, that's a, that's a side note. Yeah. <laughs> a side note. Yes. Well, thank you for that background. It is helpful to know, um, yeah. even if it, you know, doesn't have any real practical application in our lives today. A waste of time. <laughs> no, no, there's not a waste of time. Um, so I'm just looking at my notes. Whoops. And I have to say, um, and I told you this a little bit be- when we were starting, uh, before we went live that, oh, before I go there, I want to return to the fact that it's wisdom literature. Yes. And what does that mean when it's when we say it's wisdom literature? How do we read that differently than like the Gospels or poetry? Yeah. So what we, it actually is poetry. It's poetic in that sense, in the way that it, it's structured. Okay. I'm not sure that James is as you know uh, structured as the Psalms would be, because Psalms are poetry and they're connected to the wisdom literature, wisdom writings, and such. But um, uh, it is a it is a uh, salient. It is a what's the word I'm looking for? Um, it is the taking of a broad base of wisdom. Now, wisdom, of course, is the application of knowledge. How mm-hmm. well are we able to apply what we already know? So God gives us all kinds of information. How we apply it is either wise or foolish. The foolish person believes there is no God. The wise person believes there is a God. OK, if that's the case, then how am I going to apply what I know in this world and what God has told me? in a wise and, and effective way. Um, so the wisdom literature is a, a distillation. There it is. It, it takes all this stuff and brings it down to pithy statements. Um, you know, you, you look at the Proverbs and you get these these uh, two, two um, parallel statements that go on. They're saying the same thing, but using different words. Mm-hmm. And James is following that pattern to bring about wisdom into the New Testament. So I think it was... Um, uh, Travis that made that comment early on as we were starting our, our time of uh, of singing together. 
Um, so when you read through James, you see it. I mean, faith without works is dead. That's one of those. You know, it's right. just this. It's just this condensed thing. Um, the tongue is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Wow, you know that's a memorable line <laughs> that you hold on to and go, "I'm going to think about that a little bit because because there's a bunch of stuff that is packed into that." Mm-hmm. Um, the the tongue is like the rudder of a ship, even though it's small, it can have make big differences. It's like a tiny spark that sets ablaze a whole forest. Um, so there's there's these pictures that help us see a truth through imagery, through um, metaphor, through other ways right. that when you really have to think about it to get to that place, because you could describe it, you know, you can describe what happens when a person passes on gossip, but when right. you bring it down to a um, an emotive, an affective level, like, wow, okay, I can see that. And then, and then you can begin to let things play out for where you are personally and the experience mm. personally. So mm-hmm. that's kind of where the wisdom literature side of things is. Okay. And so one thing that you said was we don't read this as a book of rules. Right. Right. So this is like, there's this, um, assumption that James is making or, that we need to remember as we read this book, right? It's, it's two believers. And so we need to remember that, uh, you know, God loves us and has a plan for our life, right? Like, (laughs) (laughs) where'd you come up with that? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I don't know. (laughs) But you know what I mean? Like this isn't coming from the, the aspect, from the perspective of, God's the judge in the sky saying, you're not doing it right. You're not following me right. It's coming from, um, you are greatly loved. And this is what it looks like, practically speaking. Yes. Yes. And I think, yeah, I think another way to look at it is to say, you know, the word Torah, where you've got the law, right? It's the Mm -hmm. law of God, the Torah of God. Um, It's actually more of a way than it is so um, when you think about the, the law of God, uh, it's more of a way of living out the precepts and principles that God has given to us. So when you lose the idea of a path that you're following, a way of life that you embrace, and bring it down to a list of rules to follow, then you fall into a sense of legalism and the weightiness and the heaviness, and the entrapment. Mm. But when it's a a path to follow, it becomes more of a respite. It becomes a place of repose. It becomes a place of of resting. Um, Because you you do know a couple things about God. Mm. That that he's he's love, Exodus 36, I think it is. Uh, Matthew 11, that uh, he's he's gentle and humble of heart. Mm. Um, You understand that he is a God of grace. And so, so the reading of the law becomes a, uh, an understanding. This is a path that we choose to follow out of love for the Lord and not a bunch of rules that we have to, that we have to accomplish, you know, tick it off. Like, like they were right. in the old, like they, they ended up doing in the old Testament. Right. And I think that's really helpful because um, if we think these are rules to follow, all we can see is how we don't live up to it. There you go. Right. And that, that's that, not that, the goal. Yeah. And that, that, that was the point I was trying to make when I said it's a window to look through or a window to look at. And when we look through the window and see, oh, 
that's what it means for my tongue to mm. be whole and perfect and complete so that I am blessing God and blessing someone made in God's image. Oh, that's what it means for me to uh, to embrace the wisdom that's from above, from the God of the giver of all good gifts, the Father of lights. Oh, that's what that means. So that, um, boy, I just totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> Guess it happens. Huh? It um, happens. It happens. Yeah. So where, where, where did I start with that? Do you remember? No, sorry. Okay. <laughs> oh, I love being human. <laughs> I know. Welcome to our limits. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, so to be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Um, so James becomes the the path, looking through the window instead of looking at the window. When I look through the window, I go, that's mm-hmm. what it means for this to be like that. Um, wow, I can see a picture of what is possible for me. But when right. I look at the window, I go, I screwed up again. Yeah. And look at that. I see a reflection of myself and I realize how far short I am from the standard. And I begin to say, it's all my fault. It's all up to me. I can't get it done. Right. And that's not what this is about. This right. Is about race. This is about um, seeing aspirationally what could be, what will be, and how we get there is important because it's not about me saying, okay, I will do that. It's about me saying, Lord Jesus, I'm broken. Right. Um, I'm, I'm fractured. I am not whole. And I'd yes. like you to put me back together again. And in the most amazing, strange, mysterious, beautiful, heart-wrenching way, God uses the broken things in this world, the struggles that we have, the suffering we endure. When we focus on him, we look through the glass and not at it. When we focus on him, uh, he uses those things to bring about perseverance. Mm. We walk the faith. We say, I believe what God said. We go through the hard thing. Perseverance, perseverance brings character, character, hope, and hope does not disappoint us. I'm talking about Apostle Paul in Romans 5 right now. For right. God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given us. So, so there's something absolutely stunning that God is doing as we hold fast through the difficulty and find that we are being perfected. And again, perfection doesn't mean beautiful, holy. It means that we are becoming whole. We are becoming complete. We are, uh, our fracturing is healing so that the various parts of me. What's that? I said we're becoming integrated. Integrated, right. So that my, the emotions I have are generating the words that God wants to see. So I'm becoming integrated in myself and aligned with what the Lord would have. Yes. And that is referring back to something I said a little bit earlier, but that idea just, it was, yeah, it was stunning. That was the word you used. It threw me back in my chair when you said that God is taking the broken things of this world and using them as a catalyst to heal us and to integrate us into whole, perfect and complete people. And whole meaning perfect and complete mm-hmm. um that i just thought where where on earth in human wisdom is that even possible <laughs> but it's like god isn't it it is totally like god yeah. just so backwards from human thinking like who can heal with brokenness only god only god yeah yeah, and, 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 you know, he, 
it really helps me to think about time through an eternal lens. Mm. As the scriptures say, to the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. So this is Wednesday. So that means Jesus was here on Monday. You know, the mm. struggling that we go through, yes, it is hard. Yes, it is terrible. Yes, it shouldn't be. Yes, it makes me weep. Um, and, and yet, it, it, it's, when, when, we, when we step across the line, when we, you know, what's the line that Michael Card has? We are, we belong to eternity, but are stranded in time. When we step across, mm. when we are, when we escape this time bound existence and enter into eternity, we will find that our time on this, in this time bound existence wasn't all that long. Um, the illustration of a woman in labor who goes through a terrible stretch of, of difficulty and pain, but then once the child is born, focuses on the child and seems to put the pain behind her. Um, because now there's something new that she can focus on and something new that says, Hey, it was worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, it really helps me to think about that because I am bothered by bombs that go off and destroy apartment blocks. I am oh, bothered by famine. Yeah. I am bothered by people whose lives are upset, that are, are upended by horrible floods that wipe out their family's existence, generational family existence. I am bothered by these things. Right. And I've got to believe that God can use them in a powerful way. And I think the book of James helps me see some of that. Yes. Yes. And we'll be talking more about the sorrows next week, right? I don't have the book of James in front of me, but isn't that coming soon? <laughs> yeah, my, yeah my, my job was just to do an overview to say, here's James. He's an amazing godly man with camel knees and all that good stuff. And right. here's, when we read his when we read his letter, what we're looking at is an example of his life. This is what he actually did. And recognize that it only comes to us as we surrender to God and allow Jesus's life in us to flow through us so that we're empowered to do these things. Right. Right. And I think also it was really helpful for me, you know, as I'm thinking about being fractured and being, you know, I am fractured and God is making me whole or integrating me. Right. Mm -hmm. But how to, what does that look like? How does that work? that your um, three levels of conviction were helpful for me to think about that. Like, okay, I've got, we've got public convictions. We express a belief, um, you know, publicly we say, oh yes, I believe this. Um, And then the private belief, private convictions, we, we think we believe something but our actions maybe show that we don't believe it really. And then we have the core beliefs where we believe something so firmly, they change the way we act, think, or feel. And your Mm -hmm. example is gravity. Um, And so thinking about those uh, concentric circles, like the outside, Mm -hmm. we go in and then we go in further. It's like, okay, what, what am I saying publicly or thinking privately that is contrary to my core belief and, and helping to identify that. Um, you know, I was thinking about that this week even, and I, I thought, but I can't change it. I can't change my core belief. And it just made me realize, Oh, I need the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. I need him so badly because I can't do it on my own. Every time Mm -hmm. I think, Oh, I'm just going to, I'm going to think differently about that. It's like, 
it's so embedded in me. It's so embedded. Yeah, the neural pathway has been set, and it's difficult to um, to cut a new trail. And it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that those things can happen. Yeah. So you know, going from um, you know the the public conviction, which I say to get what I want, the private conviction, which I say right. that I believe in, and the core conviction that is revealed by how I act. You know, I can say anything, but it's how I act that shows it. I, and I think it's important, as you brought up, that it's not just what I do, but it's how I feel. Mm. That, when I, that when I give a cup of cold water, I'm doing it out of love. You know, mm. It's not that I'm trying to follow a rule. My heart's been changed. Mm. And that takes, us, that takes us out of the whole list of rule things in the book of James into a, a, a path to follow that changes us from the inside out, making us whole. Um, it is impossible for us to make those changes. It is only possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you look at Jesus's core convictions. I mean, he he lived out the things of the law of God. Um, uh, Matthew 11. Uh, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. The rabbi's yoke was known as the way the rabbi interpreted and lived Torah. So Jesus okay. is saying, take on my yoke, take on the way that I, in, I interpret and I live the law that God has given. Not as a bunch of rules that we've got to follow, um, because this, the, the Sabbath was made for humans, not humans for the Sabbath. You know, So um, um, study and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I mean, these are the things that we read and say, wow, there's something going on here where there's a gentleness that is a, that." is expressed so that God's law, the things that we read in James, are for our benefit and our good and our blessing. Mm-hmm. So so um, as we get into this, we recognize that Jesus's core convictions um, were seen in how he felt, you know, mm-hmm. what he did and how he thought. And he is helping us have the same impact on how and how we feel about things, well, how we think about things. I mean, there's the Apostle Paul, the renewed mind. And what we do about them. Mm. Um, can't do it on my own. Need the Holy Spirit to make that kind of transformation. Mm-hmm. 3.18. We are being trans, we are being, we are being transformed into the image of the glory of God through the Holy Spirit. Pretty clear. Right. And it's a process, right? It's, it's not, it is not microwave, right? It's not 30 <laughs> seconds later and here we are in the image of Christ. Yeah. It would be nice. I, we think. Right. We think it would be nice, but the, it's not reality. It's not the way God works. Yeah. Yeah. There's something, there's something about the faithful, the long obedience in the same direction uh, hmm. uh, that does a work in us that makes those core convictions real. You know, you can't just be have that slapped on over top. It's got to be embedded in who we are. And it's the long obedience in the same direction that brings about that kind of change that the Lord is seeking. Right. Right. Oh, yeah, I was reading a book this morning about the very same thing. I was kind of chuckling about it because uh, the author was talking about the diff- that how orientation, disorientation, and reorientation, and how we tend to find our comfort when we're oriented and God is, is there on his throne and everything's working out the way we expect it to work, and then something happens to disorient us. Always happens. Mm. You know, uh, someone that you love is sick. A car accident takes a life. Uh, uh, diagnosis comes in, you know, whatever the case might be. And, and we are put into disorientation where we're like, wait a minute, that doesn't fit my understanding of who God is. 
But as we remain faithful to the promises God has given, as we respond in faith, even praying, Lord, I do believe, but help my unbelief, mm-hmm. um, God then brings us by the power of the Holy Spirit to a reorientation that allows us to be oriented again. And then we find ourselves, okay, I understand, but God's gotten bigger in that moment. And mm. our core convictions have gotten deeper in that moment. And we find ourselves oriented in a place of peace and tranquility and sense of our own understanding of how the world works. And then we become disoriented again. Mm. Something happens. It blows our picture of God out of the water. And we've got to work through that again. I mean, I mean, look at James. Consider right. it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials. Boom, you get disoriented. And uh, yeah. you're getting reoriented again in who God is. That just brings to mind the picture from David's sermon the week before mm-hmm. of either God is one of many or he's um, the one who organizes the many. Um, yeah. And so like the disorientation is the the orientation is God is the one who organizes many. And then we get disoriented and he becomes one of many. Oh, and, I we like have that to, picture, yeah. and we have to like work through and process through and like remember and put him back up as the one who organizes the many in our lives. Right. There's, there is something that we have to do, whether it's surrendering or trusting, having faith. I I don't know. I mean, and like practically speaking, right. Those are the Christianese words, but practically speaking, what does that look like? It's going to look different in every situation. In every situation. And what it comes down to really, I mean, trust, faith, surrender, pretty much are synonyms, I think. I think so. Um, when I say, okay, this is not making sense to me, but I'm going to trust that what God said is true. You know, I've likened it before, and I've used this illustration before, that in my finite world, so, so my dad was a construction engineer. He was a mm. mechanical engineer, put up these big pelletizing plants and vacuum degassers and all these great big things. And and he used to take me to the job site with him. And I liken my my faith to be like I'm a five-year-old boy and I'm looking through the construction fence. I'm looking through a knot in the wood in the construction fence. So all I see is this much right here. Right. And, and my scope goes out that far. And I see what the workers are doing. I don't see the blueprints. I don't see the, the lineup of other supplies. And I don't fully understand the processes that they're doing. Hmm. I don't understand how concrete cures. I don't understand how the rivet is going to hold this, the I-beam in place. You know, I don't understand all of these things or why they're even doing it. Why do you need the expansion joint in the blast furnace door? Um, but I'm watching it. And then I go back and I try to replicate it in my sandbox at home. Hmm. Um, and, and, and so and so I don't mean to belittle us. I'm, I'm trying, you know, God's ways are far above my ways. Far and so above, right. I, I want I want to approach this whole thing with a a uh, proper sense of humility to say, mm. you know, <laughs> I think I know a lot, but I don't think I know a lot when it comes to this. And I want to be open to God sharing something more. It's kind of like a horizon, you know, when you when you when you drive toward Denver. I'm talking a lot. When you, <laughs> When you drive toward Denver and off on the distance, you see this little green thing. You're like, wow, what is that? And then another 120 miles later, you go, wow, those are hills. And another 300 miles, you go, wow, those are mountains. And then you get in the mountains, you go, wow. So every time you go near the horizon, the horizon gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and you get to see more of it. I think that's our journey to God. Yeah. It's kind of like 
you know, as finite beings, we're trying to understand an infinite being. And the closer we get to God, the more we go, whoa, that's bigger than I expected. Yes. We get disoriented. We draw closer. We go, oh, and then we reorient and go, that's who God actually is. Well, that's who God actually is. Right. that's, That's just a way I'm looking at it these days. Yeah. I think that's helpful because it's, I mean, if anybody's driven into Denver or flown into Denver, I mean, it's very true. I mean, and so it's just as helpful to have kind of those, which is why James is full of metaphors, right? <laughs> because it's, that's how we think. And, <laughs> and so, and that's how we live our life. And we can't, and because we are finite beings, we can't understand without some context. Yeah. So. So anyway, right. um, I, I believe, and I, you, you brought this up earlier, Michelle, that um, as we get into this, we're going to go deeper. My message on Sunday was simply an introduction. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of unanswered questions that um, my, you know, what we talked about today can bring, and what we talked, what I talked about on Sunday can bring, and our hope is that in the weeks ahead, we're going to auger down deeper into these things and talk about these very things and. Um, I'm sure there's going to be some interesting discussions in the weeks ahead. I'm sure there will be. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much, Rob, for being with us today. <laughs> thank you for your patience and letting me just expound. I get excited sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes I do too, and then I just talk. And you're That's like, okay. What, we'll let you do that. We'll, what I'll am I here for? Oh, goodness. It is a discussion. It is a discussion. So thank you for being here today, Rob. And thank you to our audience, whether you've joined us um, live on Facebook or later on our blog or on our podcast. We are grateful you took some time to be with us today. Most definitely. Have a great day. All right. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye.